1: In this episode, I am talking with Christine Burse about her new book, Mental Health Journal for Christians, Faith-Based Prompts to Improve Your Mind, Body, and Spirit. You can find strength in God's word as you prioritize your mental health and this journal is designed to help. Focusing on your mental health can feel overwhelming, but with this supportive mindfulness journal, you'll learn how your faith can guide you to a happier, healthier life. Inside, you'll find biblical quotes and prompts to remind you of God's unconditional love, plus short therapeutic practices to help you take charge of your mental well-being. What sets the Mental Health Journal for Christians apart from other guided journals? One, a holistic approach. Shift your perspective and cultivate positivity by covering every area of your mental health, including your emotional, psychological, and social well-being. Two, scripture and prompts that inspire. Immerse yourself in scripture, prayer, and writing exercises that will help you become more resilient and build healthy relationships. Three, faith and self-care. Feel all the peace and joy God offers and reflect on what he has to say about your mental health as you learn self-care practices that will nurture you for the rest of your life. It is possible to turn to God as you focus on your mental health. Using the exercises and words of wisdom found in the pages of this journal, will help. Author Kathleen Burse is a psychotherapist, online course creator, and blogger. She also hosts the Fearless Fostering podcast, where she provides education and encouragement for foster and adoptive moms. For more information, you can visit her website at fearlessfostering.com. That's fearlessfostering.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the New Books Network. I'm Elizabeth Cronin, a host of the channel. And today I am talking with Kathleen Burse, the author of The Mental Health Journal for Christians. Hi, thanks for
0: being here. Thank you so much for having me.
1: So I'd like to start by giving you a chance to tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you came to write this journal for Christians.
0: Sure. So I am a psychotherapist. I specialize with women and adolescents in my private practice. i a mom of four through uh, biology, foster care, and adoption. <laughs> and um, yes, I decided just a few years ago to start really bringing together my you know, passion for mental health and mental health awareness and practices I teach clients in my office with my faith my Christian faith and I really felt like there was a disconnect more and more um, that Christians just didn't really feel like mental health was something that was really accessible to them through their faith or that that their faith and mental health work really connected and so a publisher actually reached out to me with the idea for this journal and I was like yes absolutely this feels like the perfect project for me because I'm so passionate about both my faith and mental health.
1: Yes, that was actually one of the interesting things that you, you jump right in at the beginning and, and talk about how it's not uncommon for people that are, um, that believe in a God to think that if there are problems that they should keep praying and, and hope they'll go away and you kind of come in and say, wait a minute, you, you can do that. And you can also do some of these practices and.
0: Yeah, that was really important for me to clarify straight out of the gate, because I do hear that from people a lot, um, even in my personal life over the years. But, you know, I think that sometimes there is unfortunately a stigma, of course, around mental health, but in the Christian community. I think even more so sometimes that, you know, if you just have a stronger faith or if you just, you know, pray more or more diligent in your relationship with God, then, you know, he can take those things away. And of course, I believe that he can, but I also believe that he provides us with, you know, mental health tactics and, and things that we can do. He gives us the interventions that we now use that are evidence-based that we can use in and they don't make our face any less
1: as someone who was raised Christian too, I can relate to that and in, in almost that sense of like, there's some sort of honor in suffering.
0: Yes, yes. And it's so not true. I just think, you know, it's really important for people to understand that God is a loving person father and he doesn't want us to be, he doesn't want his children to suffer. You know, he wants us to be able to, to find healing and wholeness. And I think um, if you're a person of faith, if you're a Christian, then my hope was that this journal would be able to provide some tactical things that you could do as well as scripture prompts to be able to kind of intersperse the two for a well-balanced, you know, self-care practice.
1: So I thought that was, interesting as well that you, I guess it was in the introduction or at some point you say that God has a lot to say about mental health. Can you say more about that?
0: Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, as Christians, we believe that, you know, God created us. So if he created us, he knows our thoughts, our inner workings, he knows that he made it and he cares about it as such. So I think I think it's easy to forget that. I think sometimes we have this idea of God that he's, you know, far from us or apart from us and that, you know, we're just kind of doing our own thing and he lets us do our own thing. And yes, we have our free will, but I think he as a loving father does cares for us and cares about our mental health. And so the Bible is actually full of references to Um, stillness and cultivating a quiet heart and a, you know, your spiritual life and your emotional life. God has a lot to say about anxiety. He has a lot to say about um, gratitude, sadness, despair, grief. All of those things are, you know, right there in the Bible, but I think sometimes they're hard to access if you don't know where to look.
1: So do you have any thoughts about that? Why, why is it so hard to access?
0: I think sometimes the Bible feels very daunting to people. And I mean, I can understand why it certainly is a very long text and, you know, written many, many, many years ago. So I think it can be overwhelming if you have never read the scriptures before, even if you are, you know, a seasoned Bible reader, there's always passages still that I'm like, I don't understand fully what this means. And I think so sometimes that can be off-putting and it makes people maybe more hesitant to try to find you know, answers there, even if about your mental health or anything else. So what
1: was the process like for you in, in trying to find passages?
0: For me, honestly, I I think I just was looking for the passages where emotion was happening. So a lot of times, you know, in the Psalms, you see David and he's wrestling and struggling and he's in, these really difficult emotional situations and he's crying out to God and he's saying, I don't know where you are right now. And that's good to be able to find myself in the pages of that and say, oh, sometimes I don't feel like God is right there with me, but just because I feel that way doesn't mean that that's true. And then how can we kind of say, okay, we start with a place, we start from a place of, I don't really feel your presence here right now then what are, what is something I can do? What is a way that I know I can start to feel your presence more? Is it through, um, you know, remembering other ways that you showed up in the past? Is it through writing down scriptures that speak directly to the fact that you're always with me? And those are the types of exercises that I'm really trying to walk people through in this journal to make it a little bit more accessible and just give them kind of like the Cliff Notes version of, you know, here's what God says about some of these mental health issues.
1: Yes. And at at one point, I think you just, re- just now you just said, just because you feel a certain way doesn't mean it's true. And you also talk about just because you have a certain thought doesn't mean it's true.
0: Yes. And I think that's one thing that, I don't know if it's more prevalent with Christians or not, but I definitely have experienced it in my in my own walk in faith. Um, and in, in other people that I know, they also have that, you know, if we have, a faith journey, if we have a relationship with God, then our thoughts should always be this or our thought should never be about that. And it's like, no, we need to also understand that the way our minds work is we have automatic thoughts and doesn't mean anything about us. It doesn't mean that we're a bad Christian or a bad person, but we also don't want to let them take up too much room in our lives and in our minds because that's not, life. That's not what God wants us to have. So how do we manage those things? Um, and, and that's another thing that I kind of go into in this journal.
1: So some of, some of what I think people struggle with is just that tendency, like you said, automatic negative thoughts, but just also to be judgmental. Mm-hmm. And do you, do you address sort of that, that tendency we have to be judgmental?
0: Yes. I think that especially as Christians, we need to understand that God is not, he's not judging us harshly for those things. I mean, he cares about the way that we think about ourselves and he cares about, you know, if our inner critic is too loud. And I talk about that in the journal as well. That's not, that's not the voice of God. God is not, you know, yelling at us. He is, you know, he's a loving, good father. And yes, of course he wants the best for us and he has you know boundaries for us. But um, I think so many times we're really not hearing the voice of God because our own voice, our own critical voice, our own judgmental voice um, of ourselves and of others is, is too loud in our minds.
1: That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, you also talk about, in the book, wanting to introduce some evidence-based practices and using some of those in your your work as a therapist. I'm just wondering if you might say something about that. Like even what, what does that mean? What is an evidence-based practice?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, So I love learning about all things, mental health. I always have. That's why I got into being a therapist, but um, just the different modalities of treatment, cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavior therapy. And it's funny because as a Christian, as I study these treatment modalities, I am like, that I can think of a scripture verse where God says the same thing. And it's so amazing to me and so cool, I think, just to be able to say, okay, in cognitive behavioral therapy, this is called a thought record. In my Christian faith, it's called taking every thought captive to God. And he tells us to do that. And it's really the same type of thing. So this is, you know, in cognitive behavioral therapy, we talk about it obviously in a secular sense, but it's, it's really cool that to me, I'm like, God is telling us to do the same thing, taking every thought captive, making it, you know, pushing back against those automatic thoughts and saying, is this really true? Is there evidence for it being true or against it being true? Can I have an alternative or a balanced thought that now makes sense in light of that evidence? And, you know, just because that exact process isn't spelled out in the Bible, you know, I think it's still very clear that God is saying, you don't have to believe every single thing that you think, here's what you should do instead.
1: Hmm. So can you say a little bit more about your mm-hmm. own sort of background or your experience with the Bible? Cause I do feel like just you're even commenting saying like, Oh, I can, I can think of something from the Bible that God communicates around that. It's like, wow. I mean, have you done a lot of studying of the Bible?
0: Yes, I have. I mean, in terms of, you know, my own private, I haven't gone to seminary or anything like that. But yeah, I've been, you know, a Christian since I was about 10 years old. And I would say reading the Bible regularly since I was about 17 or 18 years old. So it's just a part of my life. It's just, you know, so a a part of who I am. I find so much comfort and strength and wisdom in reading scripture. And so I think I would definitely say that's how I you know come to those those scriptures come to mind because i've been reading them for a very long time um but i think that is great because then i get to help people and say look your faith this is actually what god says so there's so many you know of course there's so many different ways to think about a, a scripture passage there's so many different maybe interpretations someone reads it one day and they get one message out of it and then read another day and maybe something else speaks to them or something, you know, you could even look at the same passage to different people and think totally different things about it. And that's okay. Um, But I think, you know, really just being able to utilize scripture as part of our mental health, again, because God does care about it. It was important to me to be able to point out the fact and in tangible ways that God has a lot to say about, our mental health. He cares about us and he doesn't want us to just suffer through or just hope and pray and wait for things to get better. Um, He really wants us to have an active participation in our faith and in our mental health.
1: And how did you, so it's interesting that you say you, you became a Christian at age 10. Yeah. Was it something you sought out or was it part of your family lifestyle?
0: So yeah, it's kind of a crazy story. So I was raised in a Catholic home. um, And we went to church, you know, every Sunday and, but we never really talked about faith or God outside of that. And so to me, it was just like this kind of boring thing that we had to do on Sunday mornings. It was never really something I got excited about. Um, And then funnily enough, I went, I was invited by a friend to go to this like Christian camp. Um, it was a summer camp and we went and it was like the most fun summer camp. We had so much fun all the time and the counselors were amazing. And, you know, over the course of that week, you know, they really presented that we could have a relationship with God. And I was like, wow. And I just remember being, you know, at 10 years old, like well, that sounds great. <laughs> that's like something that I really want to have. Like, that sounds amazing. Um, and then of course, you know, and as, as people tend to do sometimes, um, I had ebbs and flows in my faith, you know, after that, it was not easy to still be in a family where we really didn't talk about it. It really wasn't important to our family. And I was so young. Um, but then when I got to my junior year of high school, you know, that's when you're starting to think about college, you're starting to think about what's next. And, um, There was a really big actually group of like a Christian organization that um, met in our town and it was really popular, tons of kids went and I got invited to it and I started to realize, oh my gosh, yeah. Oh yeah, God. Like, I remember, I really used to care about that when I was younger. And I just started to um, hang out with those kids more and start to learn more. And they were really into like reading the Bible. And I was like, what? Like 17 year olds are reading the Bible um, and going to church and actually listening. And, and I don't know. So for me, it kind of just like, was like a light bulb moment at that time. It's like, all right, I kind of want to, I kind of want to be serious about this.
1: And did you have any
0: close relationships with
1: Um, clergy or um, people in the church itself?
0: Not in the early part of my faith walk. I would say um, when I got to college was really when I could connect with, um, there's so many organizations and clubs and groups. So for me, it was easier there to find um, mentorship and things and discipleship and things like that. Um, I feel like there was, I mean, I went to a, college in the Midwest. So it was a lot, it was very prevalent that there was lots of Christian organizations on campus. Um, and so that's where I really got plugged in and definitely really grew in my faith in those four years of college. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. So now I'm kind of curious what, how you approach things as a, as a mom now with your kids, do you find yourself trying to talk about God on a more frequent basis? at home? Uh,
0: That's such a great question. Yeah. So my husband and I, um, both actually came to like really care about our faith in our, in our late high school years and early college years. So we, and neither of us grew up in a family where it was very important in our family. So aside from church on Sunday, so, um, we both kind of knew that when we had our own family, we would be excited to, you know, present, God to our children and 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 share about our own experiences but still to let them have their own discovery of faith and their own faith journey because I think we never we were both very careful we never wanted to be parents who were like you must believe this or you have to believe this or you can't ask questions and so we it kind of has just been very natural I feel like in because my husband and I talk about our faith to each other in front of the kids. And, you know, we do go to church and they have their, you know, kids Sunday school church that they go to, but it has been really cool as they've gotten older to see their own, their own little questions about God popping up. And I love when they ask us questions and they, you know, my oldest son is in middle school and he, um, they're starting to talk about like the middle East and social studies. And he's like, did you know that this happened in this region? And how does that fit with what the Bible says like I'm just like, oh my gosh, like these are great questions to be asking, you know, so it's just really fun for us as parents to be able to hopefully guide them, but also just to let them you know have their own face experience. So I think that's really important
1: yeah it's it's funny in my mindfulness meditation teacher training, um, Tara Brock told a story about a a little girl who was in like kindergarten or first grade or something. And she was like in her art class and the teacher was walking around and they were all drawing portraits or pictures. And the teacher looked at her and said, oh, well, what are you drawing? And the little girl looked at her and said, oh, a picture of God. And the teacher said, well, you know, we really don't know what God looks like. And she said, you will in a couple minutes.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. That is like, that's exactly it. And those are the cool, like, you know, faith moments that kids have. They're just, their hearts are so pure and they're just, you know, yeah, they're so sweet that way. I love that. Right. And it's
1: like, that's, that's exactly the kind of thing, like encouraging questions and letting your kids be curious and just have ideas or wonder how things Measure up because that's something I think I, I used to get stuck on. It didn't all add up. And sometimes mm-hmm. I would ask a question like, wait a minute, this doesn't seem very practical. Or I don't I don't think logistically this works out. And that was sort of like a well, just believe
0: it. Yes. Oh my gosh. And that is something that we always want to be careful. Because God doesn't do that. I don't think God does that. God doesn't say you just must believe. He's like, I gave you this book. Let's go through it. Let's study it. Let's ask questions. And there's so many times throughout scripture where the most like, you know, what we would say, who we would lift up as like the most, you know, pillars of faith, people in the Bible, they're always asking questions of God, they're asking questions about God, they're asking questions to God. So I think that we're supposed to, I think that faith is not something that we're supposed to have every answer to. And I love, I mean, even our pastor in our church, who's, you know, super smart guy and well, obviously versed in all the scriptures, he's like all all the time in his sermons. He's like, I do not know. He's like, you know, we're not going to have all the answers. And that is okay, too, to be able to sit with that.
1: Yeah. And yeah, I think from your in your book, you do encourage people to look
0: within mm-hmm. for some some resources
1: within oneself.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think because too, I mean, God tells us if we have a relationship with him, that his spirit lives in us. So when we go inward, you know, we are, we're being quiet, we're being still and we're listening. If that is true, if we really believe it, then shouldn't our lives look different? Shouldn't we be more, you know, willing and able to sit quietly and listen to what's inside of us because it's important because if we believe that God is, is with us, then we have him in there and we can listen and say, hey, what do you think about this? Your own inner wisdom as well as what God is giving you. hmm hmm And I think that's where,
1: I think sometimes people can think like mental health can complicate complicate that ability to connect to that part of ourself because it can feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You can feel so... Um, it can be so unpleasant that you just want to go and do something or escape some way. And, yeah. you know, I think you you try to address that and sort of saying, can you make room for all of the different feelings?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's so important because that's what life is. Those are the feelings are are, you know, the experiences, that's life. We can't, you know, I think in our culture in our day and age now, it's like, oh, just hurry up and distract, distract and do all those things. But that's not God's way. And Whenever you see, you know, all these difficult things happening to Jesus, he goes away by himself and meets with God and is quiet and still so that he can experience and process those things, the human side of him, you know, so um, that's what he wants us to do, too.
1: Yeah, makes sense.
0: Um, so just looking at the
1: way the book is organized, there's like three different sections. So you sort of focus the first part, I think, was feelings and then get into thoughts and relationships. So I just wondered if you wanted to share more about how you organized it.
0: Yes. Yeah, so it was basically just thinking about the main categories of mental health as I see them kind of. Um, in our own feelings and our emotions, you know, we feel those so strongly in our bodies um, and then the thoughts that go along with them. And these are, you know, again, this is straight out of cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, And then the interpersonal relationships that really do contribute so much to our, either positive or negatively to our mental health. So it was really important for me to be able to address each of those um, in in each big section of the book. Nice. And do you want to just
1: describe for listeners how they would use the book? So there's three different sections focusing on these three different aspects of mental health. And then we've alluded to like, there's a scripture, but you want to flesh that out a little bit more.
0: Sure. Yeah. So um, really, the book is set up in those three sections, but there's no really right way to do the book. You could go through it one page at a time from the beginning to the end, or you could kind of skip around. There's a topic on the top of every page. So it will say worries or comfort or, you know, uh, praying for others, unity, things like that. And then there's a scripture that goes with it. And then underneath that is a very short prompt to just make you think a little bit more about the scripture and then plenty of room for you to write. Um, You know, Sometimes it'll say listing out verses that you remember from reading about this particular topic in another time and place, or sometimes um, it'll be journaling about self-care practices that have helped you in the past and things like that, but they all tie in to the topic and the scripture um, in each section.
1: Yeah, I I remember there's at least one where you suggest that maybe you write a letter and yeah kind of guide them a little bit. So there've been so many more journals and workbooks that are out there now. I mean, I think they're all kinds of publishers are coming out with that. And even, even if there's a really good book, it seems to be followed up by the workbook version of it. And I'm just wondering what, what you think that's, what you think that's about and what is this, all this about journaling?
0: I feel like people are finally starting to see how helpful a tool journaling is. I have been such a proponent of it in my private practice with clients. I feel like it's, you're able to do the work outside of a therapist's office in many ways, you know, it's certainly not the same as having a licensed therapist right there with you, guiding you through whatever you're going through. But in many ways, you know, we can ask the same questions or similar questions in a journal and we can say, now you reflect on this and you process this and then maybe come back to therapy and we'll talk about it. Or maybe you just want to go through on your own personal growth or faith or journey or whatever kind of journey you're on and just start to, look for some practices that can support you as you kind of grow as a person and grow whatever way you feel you would like to, whatever journal would support you. So I think journaling is just, it's an easy, accessible way for people to start to process through things that maybe feels a little bit um, of an easier, less barrier way to get some therapy.
1: I like that idea. I think it also makes me think of how we're conditioned to think that the answers are outside ourselves. And so just being prompted to like check in and ask yourself what you what you remember or what you know, being encouraged in that way, I think can be <laughs> can be helpful. And I agree with you. I think maybe we are finally starting to realize that there's a real benefit to reflection.
0: Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. It's so important and it's so easy. It doesn't take much time. That was another thing I wanted this journal to, to be was something that's time, um, that's effective and efficient, really. That's just, you know, you could do it in five minutes a day because I think certainly there is a time and a place for more deeper meaningful, longer practices, but sometimes just starting your day with a five minute prompt in a journal or ending it that way it just helps you kind of reset and get your mind focused and set an intention for what's about to happen in your day.
1: Yeah. Your, your journal actually reminds me a little bit of some of the 12 step programs material that has been out for a long time, but been I think more associated with like, you know, alcoholism or something. And I think it's nice to see that this is being offered to a more general audience and that it's, you know, more people are getting to take advantage of the benefits of something like this.
0: Yeah, that's my hope for sure.
1: Yeah. So maybe we could switch gears a little bit, because as you were talking about wanting this to be something that was reasonable or relatively easy to do, I was remembering you mentioning your four children and (laughs) being a busy mom and... And and also being a foster mom, and I wondered if you could maybe tell us a little bit more about how both having your training as a mental health, as a therapist, and as a Christian, how that's helped you, because I know from following you online that it's, you know, it is a very up and down experience.
0: Mm-hmm, definitely. And that was one of the things that I even mentioned, in the introduction of the journal is just that. With the experience of being a foster parent, um, it, it's like nothing I've ever done before. <laughs> it's very much an emotional roller coaster, to say the least. And um, when your children are involved, and you're so it's so at the forefront of your mind that this child could be with you tomorrow or they might not be. I mean, that's true for all of us, but we really don't think that way typically. But as a foster parent, you're all kind of like staring that in the face all the time and uh, gosh, it's it's crazy to me how much I've had to um, lean on both the skills that I teach clients in my private practice as a mental health practitioner and lean on my faith. So both of them together have been such a strength and support for me during this most difficult thing that I've ever done, that that was another really important reason that I felt like this was an important journal um, to write because both of these things have helped me so much. I know they can also help other people when they're facing very difficult circumstances. Yeah. And I,
1: I know that you're also passionate about supporting and helping other foster mothers as well. I want to say a little bit more about that.
0: Yes. I love supporting other foster mamas um, because it's so emotionally draining. And I think, you know, most people don't grow up learning the, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy or they don't grow up learning ways to regulate their emotions. So I wish they did more, but, you know, when we get to adulthood and we start to go through these difficult things like foster care in in our case, um, we start to realize, wait, what do I do? What do I do with all these feelings? These feelings are every range of them, all the range of emotions all the time. Um, and there's so much that just needs to get unpacked. And that's why like reflection is important. So I really started to realize, okay, if this is how I was struggling as a foster parent early on. I would love to be able to support other foster moms. And so I started in uh, a group coaching program for foster moms. And I usually use my online space mostly now to um, support and encourage and educate foster moms on this, taking care of their mental health and walking, you know, in a way that cares for themselves and honors themselves in the process of this very difficult journey.
1: So what are some things that if a, like, if a listeners starting to think like, okay, all right, well, how, like, are there a few examples of things that you might teach at your foster mother group, or even with an individual, like, can you cite an example of something? Yes.
0: Yeah, so the main thing, I mean, we, in our last um, group coaching call for the foster mom group, we talked about intentional self-care and I talk about that in the journal as well. We, you know, sometimes we think, oh, well, it's just taking a bath or taking a nap. And those things are great. There's nothing wrong with doing those self-care practices. But I really think self-care can be so much more than that. And it really needs to be. Um, intentional. So I ask people the question, you know, what are the feelings that you want to feel? And then let's make a list of the ways that you know you can feel those feelings. So at the start of a day, I might have them say, okay, I, w- I would like to feel peaceful, joyful, and accomplished. And then I make a list of maybe five ways to feel peaceful, joyful, and accomplished. So maybe for peaceful, it's taking a walk in nature and, you know, listening to some soothing music. And for joyful, it's laughing on the floor with my kids and, you know, appreciating the beautiful day outside. And for accomplished, it's getting my laundry done and getting to the grocery store or whatever it is for each person. And then, you know, because we don't have control over what happens to us daily. We obviously don't. There's so little that truly is in our control. But if I set the intention at the outset of the day to feel these things, and I have some to-dos on my list that will help me feel these things, then I know that I'm at least going to feel those things for a portion of my day. And that just can be, I think, a game changer for self-care when you really start to think about what do I need today? What would be best, most beneficial for me today? Because it might be you know, a nap and a bath, but it might be something totally different. It might be doing all your dishes. It might be letting your dishes sit in the sink. You just have to really check in with yourself and be focused and intentional about the type of self-care each day that you need.
1: Yeah, I can see that. Do you work with, do you weave in um, aspects of your Christian faith when you work with the foster mother groups or does that come up with it?
0: It can, it depends on the group. I honestly, much the same way, you know, with my kids, I'm like, I share my journey. And if you, if that speaks to you, if it resonates, if you want to learn more about it, you can ask me about it. We'll talk about it. I don't focus on that in the group. Um, unless someone specifically is asking for me to, because I, I really do think that and I, I find that too. in. um, at least in foster care spaces online, there is a lot of overlap with Christianity and people who are foster moms, which is awesome. But then there's a lot of people that aren't. And I think that like, we don't want to exclude anyone and not, you know, and be, you know, only speaking in terms of, oh, the Christians who do it, do it this way, or here's how we, I don't know, address these issues in our faith, because not everybody has the same faith. And I think it's a beautiful thing to have People from different faiths come together, or people from no faith and some faith come together um, to have a shared purpose of of foster care. And I've actually seen that play out so beautifully in um, my group coaching program because there's plenty of moms who, you know, are Christians and then there's several others that are not. And it's been awesome. It's been so great to learn from each other.
1: In doing this book, what what kind of stood out for you in terms of like, because I'm sure it was a chance for you to kind of review like, all the different types of practices you recommend and suggest, like, was there any kind of like a takeaway for you after sort of reviewing them all and, you know, really having to focus and select certain scripture passages or certain, certain particular prompts?
0: Yeah, for me, it was, I mean, I wanted to make sure that once this journal was published, that it would be something that would be, I could actually use too, because um, I want to be able to create something that, you know, anyone can use that. It's just like, you can pick it up and use it. So I was, I mean, I love going back through it now that I have it in my hands and I'm just like, Oh, this is a good reminder. Not because it's my reminder, but because it's God's reminder. It's his, like, you know, his reminder to me to practice gratitude or his reminder to me, um, to sit with my feelings and not try to run away from them and to share them with him and to share them with others too. Um, so yeah, I think my main takeaway is just continuing, to practice what I preach, and to continue to look for ways to um, include God in my mental health practices, and include um, faith in in my mental health practices.
1: That's nice. Do you regularly journal yourself?
0: I do. Yes. And I always have ever since I was, I mean, really, truly in high school, actually even younger than that. I, have, I still have some journals from when I was a young child and it makes me laugh to see like what fifth grade Kathleen <laughs> was thinking about and writing about. But now that I have kids that age, I'm like, wow, oh my goodness, this is fun to be able to think about is this, is this what they're thinking? And, and they can kind of laugh too. Like, wow, mom, you were silly when you were. 10 years old. Um, So yes, I've always loved journaling. I've always been a writer. My parents would say that too. I've always just loved writing as as a form of communication.
1: Hmm. Can you see um, the glimpses of your adult self in your younger self in those journals?
0: Yes, I sometimes can. And sometimes I'm just like, you know, it's so funny to have that rearview mirror a little bit of like, wow, this was something that was really I really cared so much about this, you know, um, back when I was younger, but I think a lot of times what I can see is that I cared so much about my friends. I cared so much about people. And I can see that when my friends had a problem, they wanted to come talk to me about it. So sometimes I wouldn't even be writing about my problems. I'd be writing like, Oh, so-and-so had a, crush on a boy and he didn't like her back or whatever and that was so sad and I'm like oh my gosh that's like what I do as a therapist now I'm like the person that people come to so yes it's kind of
1: there (laughs) were signs of that early that that's so funny too because I also liked writing and I I have some books that I used I made myself when I was in like elementary school and I took cardboard cardboard, and covered them. And I'd have like a little page about the author. And it's just so funny. I think it's, you know, when parents can save a few things, it's it's so interesting if it's something that a child's written that's original mm-hmm. versus like, I'll go through some of the stuff I saved and be like, I don't know why I saved this spelling test. You know <laughs> yeah. I mean? It doesn't really give you insight into the child, but You know, and in in therapy, I've often had a client bring in, I'll say like, why don't you see if you have, if your family has any of your stuff from, from school along the way, it can give you such insight into a person.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yes. Those little poems the kids write. And it just, it gives you an idea of, you know, what, what a person's interests are and where they might be heading.
0: Absolutely. I love that. Now as a parent, I love pulling out the papers from their backpacks and being like, "Huh, okay. What are we, what are we writing about? What are we doing here? What's, what's going on in your little mind? It's fun.
1: Yeah, it is. It's super fun. Well, gosh, thank you for giving us so much of your time before we wrap up. I'm just wondering if there's any projects you're working on, or if you've got any of these ongoing programs or just anything people might um, go to your website and find out about.
0: Sure. Absolutely. So I do have a podcast for foster moms. It's called the fearless fostering podcast. And, um, I do my group coaching program for foster moms as well, which opens twice a year. So we're actually about to do our in-person retreat in New York city, um, this weekend. So I'm excited about that to see everybody in person and kind of pour into the mama's uh, in person, which will be great. Yeah, and everything, all that information is on my website, fearlessfostering.com. And I'm mostly, if I'm on social media, it's on Instagram um, at fearless underscore fostering.
1: Fearless underscore fostering. Yep. Great. Well, thank you so much for being here today.
0: Thank you for having me.